Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we mark the life of the film director, Joel Schumacher, who passed away last month at the age of 80. Now, the way that we did this is we said, hey, Patreon's over at patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. Um, which of his films do you like? They put through a short list. We then gave that to our wonderful fans over at Facebook, and they overwhelmingly chose The Lost Boys from 1987. So that's what we're watching today. And as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it's Katrina Johnston. Hi, Stephen. How are you, Katrina? I'm well. Um, how's how's life been for you lately? Um, yeah, it's been alright. Uh, been missing the theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, moonlighting as a delivery person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's about it. Okay. And yeah, keeping busy mm, on the yeah. road, doing your thing. Yeah. Um, the Lost Boys. Yes. You've not seen this film. I have not. Well, I have seen, I think, roughly five minutes okay. of it. Well, it's not a short film. I think it's meant no. to be a feature length, so yes. I think we're okay. Yeah. Um, what do you know about The Lost Boys? Um, I know I know it's got Kiefer Sutherland in it. I know it's kind of about vampires or something supernatural. So I'm expecting a bit, um, some, some campy supernatural, hopefully with a good uh, soundtrack. All right. Yeah. I mean, look, that's what I hope from every film we go into is campy supernatural with a good soundtrack. Uh, someone who is with us who knows whether or not this film delivers. Uh, back on the program, it's Mr. Murray Jackson. Ah, good afternoon, evening, everyone. Yes, afternoon. They can listen to this whenever they want. Exactly. Yeah. No, they're it's only allowed afternoon or evening. Oh, all right. Sorry, yeah. guys. If you're listening in the morning, wait. Um, Murray, uh, this is the first time we've had you on since um the pandemic began mm. um now look, i'm sorry i caused that yeah yeah you really shouldn't have broken that vial mm. that was very irresponsible of you guys you realize what's going to happen now there's going to be a conspiracy theory that will spread from this episode mm. that murray actually caused the pandemic it I mean, was just a way and... for me to watch more films katrina mm. i mean not not to justify these claims but murray does have a little toy plague rat from the globe uh theater in somewhere in this house mm, does, that, does that maybe mm. explain why new zealand's doing so well do explain in, in terms of the pandemic because murray let them cause oh, are you suggesting course. it's a conspiracy that i <laughs> and ex kiwi have introduced this virus so that new zealand can one day invade australia once it's weakened and the rest I of the don't world believe that no, no, of course <laughs> not that's silly that only a truly brilliant mind could believe something <laughs> only like a that. Devious, devious mind. Yeah. Anyway, back to this. Back yes. to this, uh, Murray. It is the first time we've had you on um, mm. in the last couple of months. Um, I have been checking in with all of our guests. Um, how how has life been since uh, since twenty twenty began? How, well, how are you doing, Stephen? I have watched an awful lot of films. Mm. Um, yeah, I. 
uh, during lockdown, um, basically parked myself um, in a chair and watched a lot of films I really had no real interest in watching, mm. just for the sheer hell of it. So if anyone out there wants the word on Fast and the Furious 1 to 6, I'm your man, because I watched all those. <laughs> Friday the 13th, 1 through 10. Hello, look at me. I've seen them. That's actually slightly impressive. Um, while we're here. Which is the best of those first six Fast and Furious films? Um, number one, oh, surely. Actually, number three's not too bad. Tokyo Drift? Yeah. It, it doesn't even have What's-His-Face in it, but um, mm. yeah. Uh, okay. I, I'm, I'm a Tokyo Drift man. All right. Mm. Uh, as for The Lost Boys, mm. you, you have seen this film. I saw this film first time at the cinema because I'm that old, oh, Stephen. no. 33 years ago, I watched this film. I remember, actually, the, um, the promo... Uh, prior to it being released and went, that's a film I'm going to go and watch. And I surely did. So in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, um, what what is it that people who haven't seen this film can expect from it? Well, they can expect the two Corries for a start. Of course. Uh, yes. Uh, Corrie Haim and uh, Corrie Feldman, mm-hmm. uh, oh. both featuring um, quite nicely there. Uh, as Katrina pointed out, a very early appearance by Kiefer Sutherland. Mm-hmm. Um, a tremendous uh, performance by Ed What's-His-Face, his surname escapes me right now. Um, and... A rock saxophonist at one point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, See, there's something that. that you weren't expecting, I were absolutely you? Absolutely wasn't. But yeah, absolutely dig the rock saxophone at one point, bare chested, singing, I believe. Um, it's something to, to, to really check out. I'm right. feeling very conflicted now. <laughs> oh, no. When, when, when we're talking great soundtracks, this is probably up there with one of the great 80s soundtracks, which isn't mm. saying much because we are talking the 80s mm. soundtracks. Um, but yeah, there's some there's some good songs in there. Echo mm. and the Bunny Man do a nice Doors cover. Mm. Uh, yeah, everyone mm-hmm. out there scratching their heads. Who are Echo and the Bunny? Kids, watch it. You'll love it. All right. <laughs> um, with that all being said, shall we watch The Lost Boys? Mm. For those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs and prepare to get lost in the shadows as we watch. The Lost Boys. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. We've just finished watching The Lost Boys. And by we, I of course mean Mr. Murray Jackson. Sail on tonight. And Katrina Johnston. Hello. Uh, Katrina, that was your first time watching The Lost Boys. What did you think? <laughs> it feels kind of like um, an extended version of of a of a supernatural TV show of like a of just a super long episode. Mm. Like next week, we'll tune in and find out what they're going to do about the werewolves in town or yeah. something like that. Mm. Yeah, it, it felt quite. I, I I was reminded of television. It felt quite mm. televisual, but for the reason, for good reasons. Mm. I really felt, um, having watched The Goonies quite recently for this program as well, I really felt as though I understood things like Stranger Things a bit more. Yeah. Um, the, the Goonies was obviously a big influence for that show. The Lost Boys, I didn't realise just how much of that kind of same 
um, I suppose, you know, kids dealing with supernatural things yeah. in small to midtown America that, that this film also uses. I think it does a really good job of it. I, it's mm. it's a bit it's a bit kooky. It's a bit campy. It's it's certainly campy, but I I enjoyed it. I <laughs> I really enjoyed, and I enjoyed the camp. I didn't think the camp actually took away from it, which was interesting. Mm. When did you last watch this film, Murray? Not long ago, actually. Um, this year. Oh, okay. Um, I dug it out because I hadn't watched it in God knows how long, mm. um, and thought, oh look, that'll be fun. Let's put that on and I can have a good laugh at mm. it um, and ended up actually really enjoying it um, but I think what Katrina was alluding to this idea that it, it's you know it's kind of like a super long episode of a of a today TV series mm. um, yeah I, c- I can see that because the effects work and and so on I mean it was very good for its time mm. um, but you know even the va- the vampire look and so on, you can see that that went on to be used in shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer mm. and so on. So time has kind of caught up with this and that um, the expectations of the audience uh, in terms of horror features has, has gone far beyond what you just saw. Mm. Um, and this is also one of the first films that, really tried to well, I suppose they were really stuff like American Wolf in London where they tried to blend that that horror and comedy um, element mm. um, but this was certainly one of the, the standouts in the 80s in that regard yeah see I wasn't expecting the comedy element to it um, so now that you've yeah now that you've called it a horror comedy I'm like oh yeah yeah it was quite funny and I was laughing with it but well that's actually the thing Whilst watching it, I felt I was laughing at it, not mm. with it. Mm. Um, and I did enjoy it. Um, it, it is. It's. But, it's. Yeah. It, I don't think it was ever meant to be anything more than lightweight. Mm. Um, even at the time, um, I have vague memories of watching it, and going, "Oh, well, you know, that was a fun ninety minutes, but it's yeah. not going to be anything terribly memorable." Mm. Um, how wrong was I? Because this film actually has quite a cult following. So yeah, I'm quite fitting, really, with it being about a cult of vampires who mm. are living in this small seaside community that's famed for its murders, um, the murder capital of the world, it gets mm. called, and they kind of are hiding in plain sight almost. Um, there's lots of posters for people who are missing. There's this reputation of it being a bit of a rough place. Like the um, murder capital of the world. Murder capital of the mm. world. But also, like, a lot of that imagery of, like, people in, like, punk uh, paraphernalia and, mm. and things like that. You know, it's that kind of... It felt very... Um, very opposite to a lot of the kind of way that small-town America is presented in other films from the time period, where even something like The Goonies tends to present something that fits more into... I guess Americana, where it's um, you know, a lot more people like the character of Max, I suppose, mm. where they're a bit square, there everything's a bit cleaner than somewhere like Santa Clara. I, yeah. I think the way that it's set up in this film actually it works really well. That is a bit grimy. It's got almost kind of like a the Warriors vibe about it, where yeah. st- stuff just isn't quite right and it's a bit gritty. And you, if you were a bunch of um, peroxide-haired vampires, it'd be the perfect place yeah. to hide. And everyone seems to be just ignoring the fact that it's a bit gritty and that there are a whole bunch of missing people and things like that and just going about their, their day. It's like, are you, are you seeing this? Well, you don't see a heck of a lot of 
the rest of the town or, or any other characters other than the, the characters mm. that we're, we're dealing with on screen. Um, it, it pretty much focuses on that story of, you know, here's Michael and yeah. you know, Michael gets sucked into this you know, um, band of vampires. Um, you, you're not really seeing a heck of a lot outside that environment, are you? Mm. Yeah, this actually, one th- other thing this film made me think of, made me think of an argument, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent. Okay. It, I have a point. Um, so my partner and I got into an argument after watching, I think, I think it might have been Rogue One okay. or something. It is um, a very divisive film. If- yes, yes. <laughs> and, oh, that's right. We we just recently finished watching, I, th- I think it might have been the second to last latest Star Wars film. And we were both discussing about which we liked better that film or rogue one Mm. um i argued that i'd preferred the star wars the the middle newest star wars film to Mm. rogue one yeah because much more character based um much character driven you got to lot really know the characters and get and do all this kind of stuff and feel for them and he's like no 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 rogue one so much better plot always trumps character and Ooh. we we just got into this real divisive argument about which was better plot versus character mm. and i was sitting there watching watching this film going it is lit- it is just plot mm. there with the, like this with a scattering of character so you actually have an idea of why people are doing something but there there's no real depth into any of them mm. except for maybe Sam. Mm. And even then, it's only like a skerrick more than than the rest of them. Yeah. Mm. Was, I think it's I think it's really it, yeah. it, it's designed or was designed to be really a basically a, a comic book effects yeah. movie and, and you know, you go along, you spend your whatever it was back then, seven dollars fifty. Um have a fun 90 minutes and, mm. and don't think too deeply about it. Mm. Um, in terms of it being you know, like a classic piece of cinema, no, I don't oh, think we're no, ever no. going to make the, the argument for that. And you, you're right. You don't really learn a hell of a lot about mm. how the Lost Boys came to be the Lost Boys. But and- even, even just looking at um, Lucy, Michael and Sam, you don't really learn much about them and their dynamic. You don't really... Mm. You, you don't learn anything about no. them, really. I think really what happened was Schumacher just went, we just have to get into the action. Yeah, and we, we just we, have to keep driving. We just have to keep driving forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, you get... I, I think what they this film does is it mm. sort of lets you fill in that, that kind of narrative yeah. where we know that Lucy's recently divorced yeah. and that they've moved in with their hippie granddad, um, who might be the best character I, in the film. I wouldn't in call him. I wouldn't call him you. hippie. I would call him more uh, Boondocks granddad. Okay. Um, mixed in with Final Deliverance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what about what about whiskey grandpa? Is yeah, that, whiskey yeah, grandpa. Yeah, he's he's a real whiskey grandpa. Um, yeah. He's a he's a fantastic character. Um, really. Loved how he was portrayed, but I, I I think it allows you as the viewer to kind of go, yep, okay, they've you know that they're, they're they're sort of that that family that was very common yeah in films from that time. It's it's present in things like the, the Goonies as well because that's mm. just on the mind probably because Corey Feldman was in both as well. He's just very present. Um, but it is about the single parent family with like a couple of siblings who band together yeah. and the relationship between Michael and Sam, the brothers. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I think I really like the fact that even though there was this tension of Michael has become a vampire and mm. Sam is obviously um, anti-vampire and has already got this um, 
Well, he enjoys living. He so. enjoy- Well, he does, yes. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's more like he's he's been positioned to be like wary of vampires mm. by meeting the Frog Brothers already. Um, and then when it turns out his his brother has become a vampire, they have this point of difference between them. But I, I really enjoyed the fact that they, they had that brotherly connection mm. and they really fought to keep it. It mm. wasn't as though they were always going to forgive each other. I think there were moments yeah. where they both considered like harming the other. Mm. But I really like the fact that they kind of did that. And it was almost like doing the the found family um, sort of trope within an actual family. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it was such a lovely way of kind of exploring that. Hmm. Yeah. I should note that whilst I, I'm like, yeah, they're very light on character, I don't necessarily think it's a... Hmm. It is a bad thing, but it's not like... It's it's entirely forgivable in this film because, well, as you said, it's mm. very it's meant to be mm. light entertainment. Well, and the, the, the and and the eighties was full of these sort of films. Once again, you know, referencing the Goonies and and mm. um, oh, crikey, just you know, I Indiana like Jones I've, and the Temple of Doom. I and so feel and that, like that, I've seen yeah. this family played out in so many other different yeah. scenarios mm. yeah. of films of that time. I li- I can't name any of them, mm. any of the films, but I feel like I've seen this. Before. I mean, you could see um, families from things like... Um, I, I'd almost be interested to see this kind of storyline, but with a parent trap kind of angle. Mm. You know, like, it's it's always about this family that is either been broken or is breaking. Yeah. And about what it is that rebonds them or mm. kind of keeps them together. And about that being quite a a positive attribute as opposed to it being like social conditioning that the family has to yeah. stay together mm. um and i i think they do a, a i think they do a pretty good job with it but i mm. also acknowledge it isn't the central like point of the film the central yeah. point of the film no. is let's look at some sexy vampire uh, and i i think <laughs> really yeah you you you've got to just go with the idea that this film instead of um worrying too much about uh character and so on mm. um it's other. I mean, if you if you look at the script too hard, it, it'll fall to pieces. Mm. Yeah, you know, what's the motivation for Ed Herman's character to to have Lucy come on? What's Lucy going to add to to the dynamic that's that's there at the mm. moment? You know, he, she's not mm. a vampire. He he is a vampire. Mm. How? Just, what? What? What influence was he, she going to play in that he just family? Wants, he just wants to have a nice vampire lady to have around the house. Obviously. Mm. Well, he hints at something more there. You know, she's going to be this motherly figure to 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 these lost boys. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I mean, don't know what's going on in his head. I mean, the connections <laughs> with this and Peter Pan, as well as vampire literature, I think is really interesting. Not mm. only in the name of the Lost Boys, but. Lots of um, oh yeah yeah there David are, and Michael yeah there, yeah there's the character yeah David and Michael there's Wait, is there a John there was originally uh, that was Sam I believe ah. they changed a couple of the names uh, the fact that the dog is called Nanook instead of Nanny things like that there are lots of Peter mm. Pan connections that and the central idea does come from the fact that it's like hey aren't the Lost Boys who are just like immortal like lads who are hanging around. Mm aren't they just vampires? Because that's the same thing. Yeah. And I think it's really kind of a cool idea. And I, I think it's I think, I think it's also interesting that despite all of these allusions to Peter Pan, they never try and super spell that out yeah. for the audience. It's not like, you know, the fun park called Neverland or anything mm. like that. It's, yeah. it's not as on the nose as that. Um, 
I think it's a really interesting take on it and subversion of it, but because the you know the source text of Peter Pan is fantastical, mm. I think almost trying to apply logic to it in that sense would kind of disrupt the text and would kind of take it away from the spirit of it. But also, a lot of the fact about um, the story of Peter Pan is that the, the Lost Boys and Peter have no paternal figure and quite often in versions of that story wendy comes in and acts like a mother to the boys and they realize oh we need a mother i I feel like that may be the angle where Mm. they went with that but but in terms of like watching it just as a film and not being aware of the peter pan connection it does strike as a bit weird or it could Mm. no i i don't think it's a bit weird Mm. um because sometimes people and vampires were once people um just want what they want. And hmm. um, I think there's plenty of films, out, even outside of, um, across every genre, where it's like, why is this character doing this? Well, it's just what they want. Hmm. Just, I think the yeah. other thing to remember here is that this film was made at a time when we're going th- we were going through a little bit of a golden age in terms mm. of horror films. Mm. Um, and basically, almost anything... Um, that had a half decent plot was probably getting green lit because mm. um, it was really the zenith of uh, makeup effects before um, uh, CGI took over. Um, so you had an absolute wealth of of horror related films that were mm. coming out at this time. I'm thinking about stuff like The Fly, Evil Dead Two. Mm. We had the Friday the Thirteenth franchise spitting out its fifth or sixth film at that time. Um, this uh, there were just so many horror flicks that were being green lit by studios mm. because there was enormous interest in them. They were money makers, yeah. And you know, this would have probably been seen as by Warner Brothers as a as a great summer film to uh, to, to, to yeah, make some, some quick bucks cow. on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it was critically very well received. Mm. Um, it was because I, I think because. It was a fun film with yeah. some sexy mm. vampire boys. Um, and, and I do think it is interesting to look at that angle of the fact that these vampires were were like, you know, young, fit men and were yeah, and a young, fit lady. Um, mm. and that kind of thing. Like there was, I, I think it's um, really interesting that the, the 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 direction that they decided to take this text and this was a lot from Joel Schumacher was taking this idea and sort of playing around with that idea of what vampires were traditionally in in literature of being uh you know quite alluring they draw you in with the fact that they are either beautiful or handsome or Mm. appealing in those sense because I think it's interesting that a lot of our sort of cinematic um image of the vampire is based around Bella Lugosi who's yeah. Not not much of a looker. I'm just I'm just going to call it out there. Mm. He's he's, he's sort of he's suave and he's yeah. charming, but I, I really kind of like the angle that they took where it was much more about the physicalness. And you've yeah. got like, you know, Kiefer Sutherland with his bad boy look, and you've yeah. got all these other like twisted sister looking uh, members of his uh, entourage um, playing into what was at that time. Mm you know, the kind of like the hot look or the, the yeah, pop well, culture that, look. That's what I think you're tapping into. I yeah. think Bell Lugosi for his time was a sex symbol. Mm. Um and yeah, widely regarded as that. And yeah, whereas you redo it for the eighties and 
No, the thirty, the mid thirty-year-old man isn't the sex symbol, no matter how erudite and slick he looks. Mm. It's the young guy. It's you know the Billy Idol, the Keith Sutherland, the um, Tom Cruise, mm. the well, young guy. One of the subtexts yeah. of this film was the the idea that it's a metaphor for young men um, wanting to escape. You know the responsibility of of parenthood and and growing up and and um, you know forming a real relationship and so on. Um, the expectation that, that they, of you know, middle just, class you know, America. Party all day, sleep all night. Mm. Um, and I, I kind of buy the film on that basis too. Mm. So one thing that I, I think we we should discuss because I've made a, I've made a few notes here. Saxophonist, the rock saxophonist. <laughs> I mean, mm. you talk about Tim sex Capella. Symbols. Yeah, he looks like Tina Turner's hard, saxophonist. He, he looks like a hardcore version of Fabio. Yeah, it's like Fabio. Those, those Fabio abs, decided to go yeah. punk. Those abs were rock hard. Yeah, yeah. He, you can I mean, tell. He, he was a great showman. I'm just gonna put it out yeah. there, like that. He it, that gig was amazing. Greatest and, sex yeah. cameo of all time. Well, I don't. I it's can't up there. Think of any others. Well, what about when Bill Clinton played sax on the TV? Like, yeah, but he wasn't in a major motion picture, was yeah, he? Yeah, that's not really yeah. a cameo. I suppose that's more just a. That's more. Look what the president can do. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Look, I'm just trying to distract from all my sex scandals. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, sort of long for the day when the saxophone was a legitimate instrument in in in, in music, but. Uh, you know, sadly, I think it died. Well, with, it depends. Uh, it depends what. Um, with I still believe. Mm. It depends what um, genre of music. Like mm. you, you go to the Ellington, for example, since we are in Perth, and we can because the Ellington's open again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you're a bit more likely to find a saxophonist. But there. you're not likely to see it on the latest like Cardi B yeah. track. And and uh, and, and if I you go there, I is the guy oiled up? Is he wearing heavy chains and is he doing hip okay, sway? So I mean, what we you need know, to do, come on. What we need to do, send this video mm. to Lizzo. I think she would work it in. I think mm. she would work in, absolutely. Yeah. We, we already know she's big on winning instruments. Yeah. Yeah, she, she, she would absolutely I feel it. I feel like she'd be like, yes, this is my gem. I could make this work. Yeah. Um, so that was point number one from this film. Mm. That absolutely needed covering. Uh, the rock in rock saxophonist. <laughs> I really want to Maybe touch on on the Frog Brothers, though. Mm, Edgar um, and Alan. They were <laughs> such a delight because they... I think that's the, the, the thing of this campness that worked is... I think that campness in these films, uh, or things that get called campness, works if the characters fully believe what it is yeah. that they're doing. And at no point did these, like, pubescent uh, wannabe vampire hunters mm. that were apparently running a comic shop like living just like with the, with parents that look like they're dead. Yeah, mm, like yeah. John like, and Yoko. Yeah, winning, you know, they're just living the like what I imagine would be teenage Murray's dream of mm. getting to run a comic shop and oh, hunt vampires. God, yeah, that it night. never happened, unfortunately. Mm. But yeah. but like I I loved them. I loved the fact that they were just so serious all the time and like we got to do this. And you know, they're riding their bikes and their camo gear. <laughs> um, You're a creature of the night. Yeah. <laughs> Checking their equipment so badly. Yeah, it was. It was. They were such a delight, and they were such. What was really lovely was they were comic relief for a lot of this film, mm. and then they straight up kill two vampires. Yeah, and like they stake um, 
they stake one of them in the, in the cave yeah. and we get the glitter blood uh, which was just this super shiny blood all over them but like they're getting covered in it it's like oh no we're respecting the fact that no these guys are actually hardcore killers yeah and I love that although, I really enjoyed that although do either of you think have they killed a vampire before? See, this is just—I don't think they have. I don't I think, think they had. But part yeah. of me was like, they, they seem pretty but good the, at this. Their though. whole lives have been leading up to this moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they're strong on theory. Mm. Not. I just love the fact that the first time that you know he he uh, says, "Look, I might have a problem here with my brother." The automatic solution is, "You must kill your brother." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that maybe that's why there's so many murders in mm. Santa Cruz because people keep ringing going I think my well not Santa Cruz Santa Carla Santa, Ca- mm. Santa Carla sorry um, it was filmed in Santa Cruz it was ah. but, there's but no it, such place as Santa Carla yeah um, but yeah Santa Carla I, I think people are just ringing up going help I think my grandma's a vampire well you better murder them then mm. that's why it's the murder capital just makes sense I also really um, I, I just think that I just thought it was a real atmosphere about this film that was really fun I love the fact that Apparently, cars can get ripped open when the vampires are hunting for people, and uh, it just doesn't seem to be that big a deal in this town. Mm. We saw at least two cars get fully ripped open like there were tins of sardines. Like there's just an expectation that weird things will happen. Yeah, it's just like Mm. another open car. It was those moments that really made me feel like I was like, yes, all like Buffy, Supernatural, they've all been influenced by this Mm. because you have those moments that they're usually the first three minutes before the credits Mm. for the episode and then you get into the actual episode. Yeah. And it's like, that's the, oh, something's gone on in Mm. Sunnydale and this is what's happened and this is what Buffy's going to find or whatever. Mm. I just love the fact that this film was the start of such a beautiful relationship with the two Corries. Well, yeah, that's one of the other notes. Is we've Pro- got, produced so many sparkling yeah. moments of cinema after this. Yeah, we've got Corey Feldman and Corey Haim working mm. together for the first time. Um, mm. and Working so well together, too. Yeah, there's yeah. just there's something there's, there's an instant there. bond there, isn't there? Yeah. The other frog brother, he was he was cool, but, you know, he was... He His was, name wasn't Corey, though. It no. wasn't Corey. That, that was the problem. No. Um, but, yeah, and I think it's... And, again, it is one of those things when... You, you watch a film with somebody who's no longer around and the fact that you know that they passed away quite young mm. as well. But Corey Haim was really good in this. I I, th- I think he did a really good job um, in, in the role of, of Sam. But mm. it, a little bit of me watching is just like... like It's a, it's just such a shame what happened with, with yeah. him. And... Um, but, but, I mean, he was, he was very good in this film. And I think he and... I, I don't know if I'd seen the brother, Michael... In anything, uh, uh, Jason Patrick. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, but he's, he's he was a staple of um, a lot of um, late eighties, nineties stuff. So, for instance, he he actually um, great piece of trivia. This uh, Jason Patrick uh, ended up stealing Kiefer Sutherland's girlfriend, mm. i.e., Julia Roberts, Ooh. a few years later. Oh. Um, now, I'm Jason Patrick. I'm pretty sure he was. He was in Flatliners. Mm. Um, Has he done anything recently? Because with that chiseled jaw, I can imagine he's... Well, he's he, still working, yeah. Oh, he is? Well, yeah. uh, here is a picture of Jason Patrick from four years ago when he's 50. It's his current Wikipedia picture. His jaw's still pretty chiseled. Mm. He's pretty... He's still pretty. He's doing well. Yeah. He's, he's doing, doing well. well. I'd go there. Yeah, he's, yeah he's a 50, in that picture, he's a 50-year-old man. He's now 54. Mm. Um, still working, um, which is... You know, obviously, what that's you surprising because what I was about to say was I 
could easily imagine him have being um, almost like a Brendan Fraser, as in he has about 10 years in the spotlight, being, you know, heartthrob of many a teenage girl. Mm. And then he starts age a little bit and people are like, nah, got to drop him. I think the problem was that there were so many um, pretty young actors at that time. Mm. Uh, he's and, and he sort of rebelled a little bit against the, the Hollywood um, thing and sort of got left behind when the Brad mm. Pitts and, and yeah. so on came along. Yeah. So I mean, look, looking at his filmography, the most recent film of his that I recognise yeah. is 1997's Speed 2 Cruise Control. Mm. Uh, oh, was he the Keanu not, Reeves Not, not one of the great films. No, he was no. Officer Alex Shaw in that film. Oh, okay. So mm. I don't know if that's a big role or not because I've not seen Speed Neither 2 Cruise have Control. Um, but he, he has still been consistently working. His most recent film was, uh, he was in uh, Big Kill as... The Preacher, which is a Netflix film, apparently. Oh, okay. So he is still doing stuff. He's doing a lot of uh, television as well. Good on him. Apparently. Because... So yeah, he is still working, but he was... Maybe it's the thing about good. vampire films, because the same year as this came out, I'm pretty sure it was the same year, um, another vampire film called Near Dark came out, mm. um, which starred a similar chiseled, jawed um, actor called Adrian Pazdar. Mm. Um and Adrian sort of went on to do very little after that as well, okay. of, of great note. So mm. maybe it's the curse of the vampire film. Although then, like, a little bit after this, but Interview with a Vampire, every, although was everyone already famous by the... Oh, they were already it? famous oh, by then, then, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't quite work. Yeah. Um, shout out, of course, for Alex Winter, uh, mm. Bill of Bill and Ted as mm. um, Marco. Um, has some curly hair on the top. <laughs> very curly, but you just can't look at him, even in vampire prosthetics, and not see Bill from Bill and Ted. Mm. I haven't even seen that film, yeah. and I saw it as <laughs> soon as you, got, you guys were mentioning. It, I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. I just pictured him standing on that bridge before they drop down with the train running Into over the, the top mist. of them, going, "We are wild stallions." Mm. <laughs> yeah, and of course, Kiefer Sutherland. Um, mm. Baby-faced Kiefer Sutherland as David mm. the Vampire. Um, I thought he just was a, great. Just he, a perpetual smirk the entire time. Yeah, which is, I think, hard to pull off. Mm. Like, he was pretty much just a consistent jerk, but a jerk that I enjoyed watching. Like, I knew there was going to be come up in somewhere. Mm. Didn't expect it to be on Antlers of uh, Taxidermied Animals, but comeuppance was had. Mm. And but, but in terms of, like, as that kind of, like, villainous um, sort of other uh yeah villainous other and also for michael like a rival for stars mm. affections initially in the film as well yeah. he just played jerky jerky creep jerky creep super well and like yeah. obviously keith sutherland has gone on and had a really mm. great career mm. well um, he he worked with cory feldman the year before this was made because mm. they were both in stand by me yeah mm. um and was a bit of a jerk in that as well a bit of, yeah a yeah, little mm. bit um but yeah he's He's just very good. He, he is. He played this part. He so should well. be too, because his dad's a pretty good actor. Oh yeah, yeah. he's not bad. Yeah, he com- comes from a pretty like prestigious acting line. And this he- is before he sort of went off the rails. So mm. Mm. he is. His character is one example where I was sitting there going, all the characters are a bit one notey, mm. and that's where I came up with the whole, you know, me preferring character driven rather than plot driven. Um, but like, it's a good one note. Mm. But I think for me to be a bit more invested in this film, I was like, mm, I want a bit, bit more, bit more meat to everyone. Mm. Like, Sam was great. Yeah. 
you really got a lot out of Sam. Mm. And I'm like, just just add that. Just sprinkle that around a little bit more. And then it'd be excellent. Mm. Um, and, of course, Katrina, I do have to ask you, mm. the, the twist, the sort of fake out but still a twist of uh, Max, the video shop owner, being the the head vampire. Mm. Um, did you suspect it at any point or did you, is it like did you suspect it before the boys tried to fool it? I must confess, I actually already knew. Oh, really? Yes, oh. because uh, ex boyfriend of mine really like liked this film, which mm. is why I'd seen five minutes of it. Right. And I was literally sitting there going, oh, "Why? Why did I not end up watching it? I think I'd been studying at the time when mm. he was watching it, and I was just like, oh, I'm not really interested. Just give me the highlights.' And he and he proceeded to tell me, right? Um. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Mm. So I, I was aware. But then the first little faint after the, after the dinner, them trying to figure out if he's the master vampire, um, I'm like, oh, no, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Mm. So it was still like a nice little like, oh, yeah, it was right. Um, yeah, very campy. And mm. I have to admit that when that first reveal, when um, Ed Hammond t- turns back to them and he's in full vampire mode... Mm. Part of me was thinking he, he looks a little bit like a Muppet. <laughs> a tiny yeah, bit. He looks well, very a little green. bit like a Muppet. And I think it's interesting that the prosthetics worked really well on the younger actors for me. Um, I yeah. felt that even though you know they've got that slightly lumpy face look. Um, but it was which, still which quite is, well done. Yeah, it's like it's a little bit goofy, but only a little bit. Like mm. it is quite a scary look on Kiefer. It's quite a scary look on Laddie, the little kid. Um, yeah. And. I think yeah, on on a on a slightly older actor, it it didn't quite work. It could mm. have literally just been they changed up the design or something. Yeah, um, I mean he because, was he was because the head vampire. Yeah, because he's the head vampire. So maybe he had to have slightly more head ridges or something like know. that. Yeah, it did look a bit, bit on the nose. Hey, it killed in the eighties. Mm. Well, it did. Um, so Murray and uh, Katrina, we we are watching this film because of course Joel Schumacher uh, passed away last month at the mm. age of eighty and. We should spend a little bit of time talking about Joel and his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll start with you, Murray. Um, mm-hmm. where, where are you on, I, I suppose, Joel Schumacher as as a filmmaker? Like, is he is he someone that's kind of like in your wheelhouse of like, he's great, or is he someone who you can kind of take or leave? He's, he's very hit and miss. Um, and it, 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 there's... I don't think he's a great director. Um, I mean, my personal favorite of his films is possibly falling down mm. um which you know got accused at the time of being quite fascist um which i can understand mm. um why was it accused oh because it's basically uh, a white man going off the rails and and um just showing all his prejudices and in, in in their full glory mm. um but yeah he's <sighs> How do you how do you rate Joel Schumacher? He, he does a film like this, which is it, it's a fluffy film and it's fun to watch. Um, he does something like, as I say, Falling Down, which might be a little bit more thought provoking, and then he does Batman and Robin. Mm. Uh, so yeah, he, look, he's he's an interesting guy. He, he also did a, a really good film that no one saw um, about all oh, in the early two thousands called Tigerland. Mm. Um, which I really recommend you should seek out and watch, um, because 
he, yeah, he, he's not someone you can define. He, he sort of goes from genre to genre to genre. Mm. He's like, um, this interests me and that interests me. and Yeah. He's, he's, for me, he's a little bit like Paul Verhoeven, the guy who did Robocop yeah. and mm. uh, Total Recall and so on, in that I can watch his work and sometimes I really like it and sometimes it just infuriates the hell out of me. Um, so I put him in that category. Mm. And, and for you, Katrina, is, is there anything about, I suppose, Joel's career that, that stands out for you? Well, I didn't really know anything that he did. And not, so I'm just having a quick look. And he did Veronica Guren. I love that film. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, which is, it's about an Irish um, journalist mm. played by Kate Blanchett who was killed in, oh, I think, in that early late or late 80s by uh, a drug cartel right um and just the whole lead up to that so yeah he i see what you mean that he's very sort of all over yeah, the place you can't pin him down because you know he's got i'm just looking at some which of is kind of cool sparkle the babysitter like just some of these titles car wash with no that's not um but then he's got yeah veronica Guren and Tigerland, which you said sounds sounds very interesting. Mm. Phantom of the Opera. Now that I really think I was really surprised. That's a really good mm. adaptation of a musical play yeah, into a film. I, I really liked that, and I think it's really interesting that Joel Schumacher's career. I don't know, like other directors, like with Tarantino, you could like you could make some things that are very definitively Tarantino. Yeah. Same with Christopher Nolan. Same with mm. Hitchcock. Same with any number of these. Like, mm. But spe- you're you're talking Spielberg. directors here yeah. who are who are auteurs, yeah, right. And I don't and think Schumacher is an auteur. That's just it. I don't think there is a single thing from like Schumacher's filmography that you can go. This is the definitive like Schumacher way of doing things. He kind of feels like. Um, there's an author makes me think of one of those authors Mm. that you know just consistently pump out a book every maybe 18 months or so and they're popular like I'm thinking of um, John Grisham making me think very much John Grisham who you know occasionally comes out with these amazing really gritty um, books but most of the time is just pumping out all these um, well like pretty well done Mm. but you know middle of the road kind of stuff yeah and like if you do a quick look for for joel schumacher and you're not Mm. familiar with his films he he directed two batman films in the 90s batman Mm. and robin and batman forever (laughs) he introduced the nipples to the bat suit he did he Mm. was that person uh saint elmo's fire falling down which is saint elmo's fire is Mm. one of those films when they're talking about iconic 80s films they say pretty in pink um, St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire, Breakfast Club, yeah. those kind of films. Yeah, and he did that. Well, that, that, that St. Elmo's Fire was it's an old significant version. for the yeah. fact that it introduced what was called the Brat Pack at the mm. time. Um, all the, the famous young actors at that yeah. time, like Rob Lowe, Demi, um, Demi Moore, and, and um, oh God, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and that was the film that sort of you know, kicked yeah. it, kicked it all off. Yeah. Um, he also directed Flatliners, A Time to Kill. Mm. I didn't realise he directed Phone Booth, um, which is also a great that film. That is a really, yeah. I is really it? like that film. And mm, it's I very short. But I didn't realise uh, that it was a Joel Schumacher film until that's... we heard he died. Mm. And 
that's Colin. Colin. Colin Farrell. Yeah. yeah. Colin, Farrell. Colin Farrell's also in Tigerland. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he yeah. works with a lot of. He does work with actors a number of times. Yeah. Um, he kind of gets a, a company of people he likes, and he, he continually works with them. Yeah. yeah. And he also directed The Wiz. Yeah, that I watched. Yeah. Um, about <laughs> oh, twelve months back. Yeah. Interesting that- film. As in, as in the recent one? No, from nineteen seventy-eight. Mm. Oh. Mm. It's um, starring Michael Jackson and Diana oh. Ross. Widely regarded as one of the worst musicals ever made. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she, as we can say, a very varied career for John, mm. yeah. but certainly impactful though. Like, yeah. like he's he was he was a very yeah. interesting guy because, um, you know, just his personal life and that was. Um, I suppose, um, you know, because he, I think from memories, he, um, he's gay. Mm. Um, so it tended to be, I think, in those days, that, that, that I think that was a little bit out of the, out of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Out of the loop, really. There, there, there weren't many people coming from that background in, in, um, so you potentially just, tried to hide it and keep it oh, no I don't think he tried to hide it at all but yeah I I don't know it's mm. he, he just had an he was a really interesting guy he had yeah. a really interesting life mm. he certainly did and you look up things about Joel Schumacher's life it's um, it's a bit varied uh, in terms of like good things and, and negative things uh, about his life and about Would the fact he, he, he had kind of a bit of a troubled childhood Mm. Um, and I think part of that is tied into the fact that he, he did have girlfriends growing up, mm. but sort of discovered himself yeah. in his late teens. Um, and also, you know, he was someone who, obviously being gay at that time, was very heavily affected by um, the AIDS epidemic. Mm. And that really had an effect on mm. him for the rest of his life, just in terms of the sheer amount of people that were in his community and friends that he had yeah, that he, he lost, lost to that was was obviously a massive um issue and then on, of course himself. just the you know constant homophobia yeah. but he had to he had to work his way up through hollywood too he didn't start as director i think he started as something like a costume designer or something mm. along those lines so the one little bit of trivia about mm. him which is uh, how we herald in uh, our trivia section for the lost boys mm. is that he worked as a designer and store window dresser for one of new york's fashionable mm. stores before he got into film in his 30s yeah but yeah, and I think the which just goes to show that if you haven't made it by your thirties, by your thirties, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Oh, look, Colonel yeah. Sanders didn't get going until his sixties with KFC. Yeah. So like, the world's your oyster, yeah. or your deep fried chicken, I guess. Um, but yes, so would you guys like some trivia about the Lost Boys? Let's do it. Okay. Um, Tell me about the glitter. <laughs> well, uh, it it is in here. We, we will get to it. Um, in fact, it's the first thing. In the documentary <laughs> Bloodsucking Cinema 2007, Corey Haim said that all the blood had glitter in it to give it a shimmering effect and that it was slimier than other fake blood. So it just had a lovely shimmer to it. Okay, I, I'm just picturing now that they were just firing tons of different fake bloods at them. I mean, if and, you... and Corey going, hmm, not too bad, viscosity good. Um, <laughs> this one, a little bit slimy. I find... The longer you work in acting, the more familiar you get with fake blood. <laughs> I, used, I used to do a lot of role play work in my, mm. in my 20s um, for professional role play companies. So like training people like prison officers and police officers. And we used fake blood for a lot of the um, police officer training. 
you know, if it's like uh, someone's been in an accident or there's been a fight and you want to show like somebody's been hit and about, you know, so for officers to respond to like, we need to give this person medical treatment, mm. uh, things like that. So we had to make our own fake blood for that. And one of the actors had a very specific recipe for making fake blood. And he would come in and he would show us how to do it. And he'd be like, this is how you get the best fake blood. It really is like a thing, a thing, a thing that actors yeah. and people working in the industry get exposed to. As as someone who has done a couple of stints as a stage manager, mm. I, I remember having to try and research this. Yeah. And it's it's difficult to get right. Mm. Uh, I, like, it really is. There's there's Because there's a difference between, like, uh, for example, fake blood if it's just being spat out. Or um, if it's dried. Oh, yeah. Dried blood as well. So, like... If, if you're just having somebody coming in, like they've been in a fight and they spit out a bit of blood, it doesn't necessarily need to have that viscosity that, say, somebody with, like, a wound and it pouring out of their shoulder does. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that Corey Haim's like, oh, yeah, this one's got a strange consistency. Mm. Well, I found the scene where, like, where they first stabbed the vampire, it looked like they were being poured in motor oil. Yeah. It was just so slick and shiny but and... i think part of that was to show that it wasn't like normal human yeah. blood as well yeah. i think mm. that was very much at least that was my reading that... well they, they couldn't uh, they couldn't be too over the top with this and they couldn't the make ratings. it too real per se because this was well in new zealand we had a weird rating system back then but from memory this was at that time an r13 which meant you had to be 13 or older now that's the equivalent today of a say an ma rating mm. right Really? Um, yeah. Oh. So this had to be reasonably teen friendly mm. and they couldn't have great wads of gushing blood every five minutes. Which so also this film explains is, is the, not the, terribly the, blood the bloody. cloud sex euphemism. Mm. Oh, when um, when Michael and Star yeah. um, are getting down, and getting then it down. just goes into the clouds. Yeah, like some some gauzy shots. I've always then... interpreted that as actually the 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 other lost boys returning home. Oh, um, so like they're they're flying back. Yeah, and then they, they. So you're actually past. we've we've just cut completely from. Um, <laughs> by Michael and Star getting it on to yeah. uh, to the uh, the boys arriving home. Mm. Um, hmm. but I, I I'll, I'll go with yours. Yeah, yeah. either way could work. It could be both. Who knows? Yeah. Um, the new location of the Atlantis Fantasy World comic book store, which was featured in this film, uh, is owned by Joe Ferrara the Second, who still carries the original number one issue of Vampires Everywhere that wow. Sam reads in this film. The comic was created only for this film. And its opening page is signed by all of the cast members from the film. Oh, that's cool. Joe Ferreira II allows any shopper to hold it and take a photo with it Ooh. free of charge. Very Aww. nice. So if you ever make it to the Atlantis World Fanta- uh, sorry, the Atlantis Fantasy World comic book store, uh, say hi to Joe. And But wear a mask. See, I, I yes. really need to go back in time to when this was filmed because all the cool comics... Mm. will be from that time. See. That's true. I mean, as, as a comic aficionado, we've, mm. we've discussed this occasionally on the podcast, um, how was their representation of the comic media for you? Oh, look, I don't think it was playing a big part in the film anyway. Mm. Um, I have no idea whether or not what he was talking about in terms of the red kryptonite is actually true because I find Superman a very boring and dull character. Mm. So I don't know a hell of a lot about it. Mm. Uh, but... Um, Look, uh, you know, in terms of um, the fact that there could be two uh, vampire-killing comic shop uh, proprietors out there, 
Um, yeah, I'm kind of down with that. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. Could be a late career change for you. Indeed. I you, I think it's diversification at its <laughs> best. <laughs> mm. The original screenplay was written by Jan Fisher and James uh, Jeremes and was originally about a bunch of Goonie-type 5th and 6th grade kid vampires, uh, with the Frog Brothers being chubby 8-year-old Boy Scouts. I think they managed to retain that one at least. Yeah, they've, they, they, well, they've mm. definitely got the vibe of it. Yeah, they, they really did have a little bit of that kind of scouting yeah. vibe. Um, and Star was also originally a male character as well. It wasn't, mm. a, it wasn't a love interest character. Um, the original inspiration came from James, uh, who caught, who made the connection between the Lost Boys from Peter Pan and mm. the idea that they might be vampires. Um, so that's why they have all the connections to the film. Uh, Joel Schumacher didn't like the script in terms of with it being about young kids um, and told the producers he would only sign on to do it if he could change it to be about t- teenagers because he thought it would be more sexy and interesting. <laughs> I don't that's know if that's the thing, exact quote. That's but... the thing, though, because the movie, in the first couple of minutes, it sort of sets itself up that Michael is the main character. He's really not. Mm. Sam is. Well, mm. I actually think it was a great decision by Joel Schumacher, really, because he probably realised it was going to appeal to a wider audience yeah. on that basis. And also, we already have the Goonies, and it's quite fresh in the mind. Yeah, there were plenty well. of kid-friendly films at that time, so why not? Yeah, and I guess, yeah, you're right. I think it does appeal to a wider audience, because you just look at the poster, and it's like all these hot, like, older teenager types. Mm. And so... Ooh, that's my little piece of trivia. Older guys will will go, and um, girlfriends will go, oh, let's go see this, because I want to perv on the hot guys. And the boyfriend will like this, or whatever. Um, but then there's also the little kid story, well, the younger kid yeah. storyline, to, to get in the, you know, 13, 12-year-olds yeah. in with their parents. Uh, what's your bit of trivia, Murray? Well, it's very personal. It's personal Murray Jackson trivia. Ooh. But um, the... Uh, Deep in the archives. Back in the uh, the late eighties, I actually went to one of the cinema chains in Auckland City and um, said to them, "Hey, I'm um, you know heavily into uh, anything science fiction, horror related, and I was just wondering whether it'd be possible to um, pick up a copy of any one sheets uh, for any upcoming films mm-hmm. uh, and you know ongoing type of thing, and um, just." happened to luck into the fact that whoever I was speaking with went yeah we can totally do that for you and the very first one sheet that I was given was the lost boys sorry what is a one sheet a one sheet is your normal um uh representation the poster um, oh, okay. that you see at the cinema oh, yeah. I see, so the one I that's in yeah. uh, the sort of like the little uh glass box mm. Mm. Yeah. that'll be like right out the front yes oh i see yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and it's a it's a good poster for your first one as well. Yeah, it, it was. Is. Yeah, I wish I'd kept it. It's worth a worth a few quid now. Yeah, yeah. probably would be. Mm. Oh well, but there you go, everyone. It's a Murray Jackson trivia yeah. just woven in our yeah. own Lost Boy. Um, <laughs> every year at the landmark Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk in Santa Cruz, this film is screened as part of the park's free summer movie series. Beachgoers may bring outdoor furniture and supplies to watch after sunset. Uh, many features of the town shown can still be recognised, most notably the rides and games of the boardwalk itself. Oh, See, only one so thing could be better than that is if each year they bring back Timmy Capella mm. to play saxophone. Yes. <laughs> Just standing on top of the roller coaster. He probably needs to put a shirt on these days, I'm guessing, but... Yeah. Well, I don't know. Some, some people. Yeah. I mean, you look at Chuck Norris, for example. 
who is still a very, very fit man, mm. really racist, like blatantly racist now, um, but very, very fit. Mm. Uh, Tim Capello, I'm just having a quick look yeah. uh, for a contemporary mm. image. Um, mm. he's, he's still... He's decent. He's, he, he is wearing a shirt. He's wearing a vest. Uh, yeah, I think but he's he, still got the guns out. He, like, might, he might actually still tour still with well. uh, yeah. Tina Turner. Yeah. Because well, he I mean, sees Tina's sexophonist. Mm. Yeah. Look, he, he looks like he's in good shape. So you know what? Yeah. They should invite him back. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's got like a weighted saxophone to make I mean, sure he's always working on the guns while he's playing. If the Santa Cruz, they had the film, but at the same time they said, afterwards there will be a Timmy Capella concert. Man, I would make a beeline for that. Mm. Uh, Corey Haim jammed with his co-stars between takes and enjoyed the large props room, (laughs) uh, precluded from the night parties that the uh, older actors had. Um, Haim bonded with Corey Feldman as they stayed in the hotel watching movies and visited the local arcade. Oh, that's Aww. cute, isn't it? Yeah. I don't like the idea of the other cast members necessarily going out having wild, boozy nights because they're all underage. Wow. wow. Well, yeah. also... Legal drinking age, 21. Just to... I mean, some of the other things that happened to child stars of that era, I think they've... Netflix have just released a documentary mm. about child stars and interviewing a lot of child stars and things like that. And um, I haven't watched it, but I've heard uh, other people speak about it and they're like, it's it's rough. Mm. Well, it didn't, didn't end out, well for dear old Corey Haim, did it? Well, you also just find out how many people were taken advantage of and just put in situations that was not not great. Yeah. Well, Cory Feldman very controversially came out and said that he and Cory Haim were both abused. Mm. Um, not um, necessarily on this film, by the way. Yeah. Um, um, yes. But don't I, let that taint your viewing. Yeah. At the very least, it sounds like they got to like th- that connection that they had, which served them mm. in these well, films, yeah. was was formed in between the the days of shooting here. Yeah. And I just like the lovely. idea of them going to the arcade and just having a nice time it's like how you hear of like in more recent times of the relationship between um Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner yeah how they became such close friends through filming uh Game of Thrones Mm. and how they're really close and and do all sorts of fun things yeah fun things together but these guys went on they did many films Mm. together Mm. um I don't know how many licensed to drives there were but uh yeah, they they genuinely seem to enjoy each other's company. Mm. Mm. Santa Cruz, which is where Santa Clara is, as you yeah. very helpfully pointed out, Murray, um, was once played with being the murder capital of the world because of a series of very brutal murders by three different but very disturbed men in the early 1970s. Wow. Uh, John Lindley Fraser, Herbert Mullin and Edmund Kemper, mm. uh, between them, committed uh, 28 murders over a 30-month period between 1970 and 1973. And kids, if you want to learn more about Edmund Kemper, watch Mindhunter, uh, which is a very good series, uh, and you can learn all about Mr. Kemper. I think I've heard of... um Oh, what's his name? Henry Rollins talk about being in... Because Santa, Santa Cruz is part of LA. I'm terrible with geography. It's California, yeah. 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 And he, I think he spoke about that because he was starting his musical career mm. around that time and talking talking about coming across um, uh, trans women prostitutes, um, young ones who were 
who were uh, targets for people like that and mm. knew they were and how he came across them having an interaction with them and it was like, they've got more balls than me. Mm. And he's this big, scary punk singer. Yeah. Well, they certainly did try and uh, put in just about every ethnic reference they could in this film, didn't they? Yeah, the except first, within the leads. In the opening, yeah. in the first in the couple of titles. minutes, it was just like, oh yeah, let's get a shot of, uh, who've we missed out? Oh, yeah, let's, bring, let's bring these guys in. I, yeah, because that was not present in the rest of the film. Yeah. No. And it was a bit strange, but... Once again, probably very emblematic of its time. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, to be fair, it's kind of emblematic of movies now. Mm. This whole not so not to not to that degree, not to that degree. I would I disagree. It, yeah, I think it depends yeah. on the film. I think yeah. I think filmmakers, by and large, are more conscious of it these days. Whether or not they choose to act on their conscience yes. is is kind of yeah. the key thing. Um, but I think there was certainly a at the very least, um, largely unacknowledged bias in films from this time period. Mm. Um, and I think it is interesting looking at films from then and films from now and seeing what is and isn't different. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, Corey Feldman, who plays Edgar Frog, mm. uh, who wasn't Alan Frog, uh, almost wasn't in this movie. Oh. At the time... They're like, we've got one, Corey. We don't uh, need another. <laughs> uh, no, actually, it's a little sadder than that. Um, he was struggling with drug abuse at oh, a young age God. and showed up to work coming down from a cocaine binge. Uh, the director, Joel Schumacher, was very upset that Corey kept dozing off and unable to continue filming, so he fired him, but then hired him the next day after Corey apologised and swore to come to work prepared from then on, which he did. Oh, mm. oh that's good. Yeah. How old was he at this stage? Oh, he would have been only about... 15, 16. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And already got... I think he was born about 1970, so it would have been probably 15, 16. Corey Feldman uh, was born in 1971, so Mm. he would have been 16 when this film was released. Mm. When it was released, yeah. Yeah. So So possibly About 15 15 when when it was filmed, yeah. uh, I I know it's like, particularly of that era, it's quite normal for child stars to have already had... Like by that age to have already gone through rehab and mm. things like that, but it's still so mind-boggling yeah. that people did that yeah. and in, and allowed and, that to happen. Yeah, allowed that to happen, and and in some cases it continues to happen. Mm. It's crazy. The executive producer of this film, Richard Donner, uh-huh. originally intended to direct this film mm-hmm. because, of course, he's a director, uh, but he produced um, instead partly because the production dragged on for quite a while. Mm. And he wanted to move on to direct Lethal Weapon, which also mm-hmm. came out this ah. year. And so that's why they hired Joel Schumacher instead. Yep. But he was a good choice as, as producer because he'd had form in genre films. Mm. He directed Superman, the movie. And the Goonies. Mm. I didn't realise. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Which is probably why there's a lot of Goonies connections mm. now yeah. I think about it. Um, yeah. No, he did that. Um, Keith Sutherland was originally reluctant to star in the film until he heard that Joel Schumacher had lined up In Excess and Jimmy Barnes to sing some of the songs for the soundtrack. This is because Kiefer had spent a summer here in Australia when he was a child and had become a fan of the two bands. Oh, Oh, okay. So I really like the fact that Joel was like, uh, do this film, Kiefer. Nah, we've got In Excess and Jimmy Barnes. (laughs) I'm in. Like, yeah. And the music, we we haven't really touched on it. The music was really good. Yeah, it was. Great soundtrack. Really, really actually, like, genuinely... Even though it's very eighties and very of the time mm. period, it's the, good eighties though. It was it was good. 
uh, I really enjoyed it. And you were right. saying, Murray, that you had a vinyl. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, yes, I did own Why? this soundtrack. It's a um, good soundtrack. Yeah. Because I, 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 I fancied myself to be a bit of a punk at the time. So mm. it was a little bit of an odd one to have in your collection. Mm. Um, oh. I, but I was a huge Echo and the Bunny Man um, yeah. fan. And they sing People Are Strange in this. Mm. Um, and from memory, uh, that's where you could sort of get that particular song. So mm. I'm claiming it's because... Echo and the Bunny Men were on there. Mm. When asked why he did this film, Joel Schumacher stated, Vampires are hot. They're the only erotic monsters. Frankenstein is not hot. <laughs> um, That's an interesting take. Yeah. Mm. I was like, why did you do I this? Go with Vampires that. are hot. Mm. You like what you like. like. Like we said earlier, sometimes the motivation doesn't need to be complex. Sometimes it's just, I want what I want. Mm. <laughs> uh, in the dinner scene with Max and the Frog Brothers... Uh, Alan puts out the candles with his fingers. Uh, nobody had told the actor, Jemison Newlander, that he had to wet his fingers first, so he ended up getting burned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. That's very much a kid's like, oh, I've seen an adult do this yeah. and not realised all of the steps to do a thing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, ouchie. Um, and finally, this film is the reason why Joel Schumacher ended up directing phantom of the opera oh andrew lloyd webber was impressed by how schumacher used music in this film and led him to essentially ask schumacher to direct the film version of phantom mm. of the opera he, he was just apparently like they've done it really well obviously we're doing a musical i think you'd treat the music well so just... lloyd webber clearly didn't see the whiz uh, no, no. I think maybe he was. Um, but to he was be a bit fair, that was earlier in his career. Yeah, maybe yeah. It, maybe it had been forgotten by then. Or maybe yeah. he's like, well, he hasn't done well on this one. But twenty years later, or however long it was, no, not even twenty years. Ten years later, he's done it a lot better. I've got another one for you. Ooh. I believe, um, and this could be apocryphal, but I did read it somewhere that. Um, Ben Stiller claims that he auditioned for Lost Boys. He did audition for it. For I, I don't know for which, which part, uh, but he was in the list of uh, mm-hmm. actors that auditioned. Well, for he, I think he claims that it was for the Keith Sutherland part, and mm-hmm. um, that he lost out to Keith. I didn't realise Ben Stiller was that old. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, he's mm-hmm. around the same age. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, no, he's he's about there. He's about he'd be in his early fifties now. Mm. So it, yeah, and Keith is fifty three. Keith Keith Sutherland's a, a good choice for yeah. it. And uh, actually, in a bit of uh, Keith Sutherland based trivia, mm. uh, it's connected to this. Uh, would you like to know Keith Sutherland's full name? I've heard this before, but yeah. it's, I can't is it recall. Like ridiculously long. It's pretty long. Yeah, his full name is Kiefer William Frederick Dempsey George. Rufus Sutherland. He obviously had a lot of uncles. Uh, yeah, quite, <laughs> quite clearly. Um, a great collection of names. Yeah. I've just, I just came across that as we were going. It sounds like, quite royal, doesn't it? He does yeah. a bit. Mm. He was born in Paddington in London. Yeah. Because so, yeah. I've always thought he was Canadian, but there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, all that remains for us is to score the Lost Boys. <sighs> and uh, Katrina, you get to go first because it was your first time watching the Lost Boys, what score would you give it out of 10? Taking everything into account that I've already said, like very much preferring character-driven and rather than plot-driven, um, like I still had fun watching it, mm. uh, but I'm probably not going to watch it again anytime soon unless it's to get drunk with a whole bunch of friends mm. and have a good little giggle. 
Um, so with all that in mind, I'll give it a six six spurts of glittery blood. <laughs> That's kind of slimy. Mm. That's absolutely fair. What about you, Murray? Well, I'm I'm fairly in line with Katrina. I was actually thinking six and a half. So I'm, I'm a little bit more generous than you. Mm. Uh, but there is a nostalgia factor here for me that there isn't for you. Um, yeah, it's look, it's not a... It's not a um, standout film. It's I put it on, as I say, a few months back just to have something nice, empty and vacuous I could it's, spend 90 minutes watching. Good, and I, I felt rewarded fun. for that. Mm. So I will give it six and a half creepy stuffed badgers. Not badgers. <laughs> Beavers. Badgers, no? beavers. Well, I'm sure well, there was a badger was, and a beaver. Or was, was it a, a woodchuck? No, it was a six and a half creepy stuffed woodchucks. Yeah. yeah. I would have also accepted uh, owls that look like they're attacking you. Mm. Uh, and we didn't get back to Grandpa. We should throw that. I oh, love yeah. Grandpa in this film. Um, yeah. I love that last line. Of just, mm. That just, was a that was an excellent vampires. final moment. I yeah. will say it's just a little deviation. So I recently watched Warrior Nun, which mm-hmm. is on Netflix. Yeah. Um, good little TV show. Again, very campy, schlocky, supernatural, religious thriller. Mm. Um, the most awful ending of a season ever. Mm. It was literally like they were filming a fight scene and then everyone just got tired and they left. That's how it ended of a 10-episode season, which was, you know, pretty decent. And then I'm like... But you wanted just limbs why? flying everywhere, didn't no, you? No, I just wanted a clean ending. So you wanted gra- Grandpa Nun to walk in and just go, that's the problem with living in this church. There's warrior nuns everywhere drinks. <laughs> yes, literally something a bit more cleaner instead of the, like, if you go and see it, you'll if you go and watch it, you'll know what I mean. Yeah. But yeah, it was like they ran out of film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I really enjoyed the frisky whiskey grandpa. And yes. I also, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I had a lot of fun with it and I think it is partly because it is a film that is kind of set up for you to leave your brain at the door and sometimes Mm. that's Mm. just what you want that's just what you need it's a popcorn film yeah and I I had a really lovely time watching it it was great just getting to like chat about it with you guys as it was going and Mm. to chat about it now and I, I would watch it again probably not like immediately but I think as you say mm. Katrina if it was like I was hanging out with people and we're having a few drinks yeah. and we wanted to sit and watch something that was sort of like n- not massively consequential but we could like have a chat and like laugh at and laugh with Yes, I, I think The Lost Boys is an excellent choice so I'm going to give it um, 7 Tim Capella performances out of 10 <laughs> um, Fantastic. And the his, heavy chains. He, he was great he was he was one of many highlights for me in this film. And Valet to um, to Joel Schumacher, a, a man uh, who as a director, as I say, infuriated the hell out of me from time to time. But um, I think he always tried to put his, his heart and soul into to mm. everything that he did. Mm. And he never let himself be compartmentalised. So yeah. kudos to him. Absolutely. And um, Murray and Katrina, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Thank you for having us, Stephen. Thank you. Uh, For those of you listening at home, thank you so much for listening in. Um, As we said at the top, this episode was uh, in part selected 
by our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast uh, we do one of these films every month that they get to help us pick so if you want to go along and help suggest films uh, for this podcast you can do so by joining us over at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast uh, you can also vote on polls that one is open to anybody in the world that has a facebook account basically uh, so if you want to come and vote on the films that are up at the end of the month then by all means just find us on facebook just search for the cinema catch-up club and give the page a like and uh, if you want to get an episode each and every week you can do so by subscribing whether that's on spotify or soundcloud or itunes or wherever you get your podcasts we'll be there giving out a new episode each and every week but that's all for now so until next time goodbye hey murray have you checked steven's reflection do we know he's he's not a oh my vendor? god that hadn't occurred to have me. You, have you seen him eating any garlic? Katrina, look! <laughs> People are strange. Dun, 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 dun. When you're a strange. Actually, I'm the master dun, 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 dun. When you're strange. I don't know the words. People come out of the rain. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.